This is W-O-W-D-L-P Tacoma Park. Artist Experience Radio Show, and I'm Sheila Blake, and I'm here with Tom Sinakis, and also my husband Peter. Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to follow up, as promised, on an exhibition that is currently at the Phillips Collection in D.C. on Pablo Picasso, the prolific and iconic Spanish painter. In our last show, we introduced Picasso from another tangent. We discussed how we reconcile seeing an artist's work knowing much about his controversial life and public persona. Much philosophy went into that program, and we heard from our listeners about it, as we had predicted. It seems that many of our listeners agreed that the premise of the show was interesting, and the artists like Picasso are in the category of Some Artists Come With a Lot of Dirt, and that was the title of our last show. (laughs) Well... Our beloved Phillips Collection here in D.C., in collaboration with the Art Museum of Ontario, has put together a show of paintings titled Picasso, Painting the Blue Period. The Phillips Collection offered us a tour of the show, and our host, the Phillips media specialist, Jennifer Mitchell, gave us a great tour of the exhibition. This has been in the making for 10 years, and there are very strict regulations of what can and can't be photographed. So you'll have to stay with us, as we can't show you our on our website some of the paintings we're talking about, as we almost always do. The origin of this exhibit lies in the activities of a group of conservators, And there are some videos that reveal in the show what they are doing in their labs, which are completely out of our sight. But we believe that most of our listeners can either learn or pass over the scientific parts and trust that the curators put together an engaging exhibit that reveals Picasso's aims and influences for the first four years of the 20th century when he was moving between Paris and Barcelona. Here are more than 70 paintings, sculptures, and works on paper from 30 international collections, along with works by French and Spanish artists that he studied before and during his blue period. I just, I want to point out that although we know the name Picasso, probably most people know the name Picasso, his full name, and I'm going to try to say it for you, was Pablo. Say it, Sheila, say it. (laughs) All right. Pablo, Diego, Jose, Francisco, De Paula, Juan, Neprochino, Maria, De Los Remedios, Cipriano, De La Santisma, Trinidad, Ruiz, E. Picasso. I'm disappointed, Sheila. I thought they they should have a few more names tagged on to that. Well, thank you for sharing that. 
Well, the story about the conservatives is essentially the new optical technology. Some of them developed here in D.C. at the National Gallery have newly appeared on the scene, and curators are shifting their focus from biography and documents to studying artists' techniques and materials with new technologies. The Phillips Collection built a new laboratory in 2006, and their conservatives have established valuable collaborations with other laboratories, like in uh, Ontario, for this exhibition, and with other museums that are eager to have their own paintings analyzed. That is how this exhibit has paintings from uh, Hiroshima, Kyoto, and other places. They've gathered a lot of, of these Picassos from various places that would otherwise not be providing them for our pleasure and instruction. These are very valuable works. We should also recognize there are thousands of scientists in the D.C. metro area who are quite familiar with microscopy, infrared reflection, microns, and all those other things. The headquarters at the American Optical Society, with its scores of Nobel Prize winners, is just one block from the museum, and that makes it really convenient. Well, I do want to point out in celebration of Women's History Month, that most of the chief research analysts are women. They are using and inventing new technology to be better able to explore Picasso's mind and his hand. And also, you can better see that he was always about revision. One of Picasso's influence was anger, and anger was the opposite. He would make many preparatory studies and uh, drawings and then a grisé painting before he arrived at the final painting. And even then, he would change the composition. He would take out an object. He would sometimes move things around. But Picasso painted very much the way we have described when we were watching him draw on a transparent surface. He would start a drawing. He would revise. He would move. Sometimes it was almost like watching a sporting event, like a basketball game, and watching the players move quick, move, change configuration, constantly moving and revising their strategy. Well, yeah, it definitely was like a sporting event. <laughs> and Well, if you know any science types, you can encourage them to come down to the Phillips collection. Or... If you're interested in what pigments Picasso used, which I think is really great for, for artists and beginning artists, and how he started a painting with what strokes and colors he laid out in the composition, that's all part of this exhibition. But we expect that most of our listeners will be just fine knowing simply that the curators are getting another tool for their scholarship. On the Artist Experience Show, we don't do scholarship. We proceed as we recommend you proceed. We, we open ourselves to experience. Creatively enter the set and guess what it's all about. I mean that sincerely. Whether you're looking at art or reading poetry, you have to be free to develop your own theories about what's going on. This exhibition gives you a short elemental information on wall text, and it shows you examples of what is going on in Picasso's world at the time. Some gorgeous examples of art that uh, he was looking at, Picasso himself, and the story emerges from the pictures themselves. In other words, it's the experience of the art that is our primary goal and motivation. The biographical stories behind the art, if you're a scholar, you have to get that right. But for us... We do our learning through the art. Well, Sheila, Peter, 
We love the Phillips collection in Washington, D.C., and we've talked about many exhibitions presented to the public on the Artist Experience radio program over the years. Again, we are doing this show in conjunction with our last show on Picasso and his public persona and his relationship specifically with women. The Phillips collection, exciting new exhibition is titled Picasso, Painting the Blue Period. This is the first Pablo Picasso exhibition in D.C. in 25 years. The Phillips Collection is located on 21st Street off of Massachusetts Avenue in D.C. in the Northwest Quadrant. It is metro accessible on the red line at DuPont Circle Station and available also by Metro Bus. The Phillips Collections has an entrance fee and you can see the ticket price options online. You must show proof of vaccination upon entrance to the collection. The Phillips Collection is an extremely important cultural institution in D.C. and in the U.S. and in the world. Sheila and I highly recommend a visit, not only to see their current exhibitions, but always to see great art at this venue. A little about Pablo Picasso. Pablo Picasso, who lived from 1881 to 1973, is an artist that became a 20th century icon in his own time. The Blue Period, from 1900 to 1904, is an important early period for Picasso, which helped him vault into the Parisian art scene. This period is actually my favorite period of all his years as a painter. He was young, ambitious, and prolific, even at that age. The Blue Period was followed by Picasso's Rose Period, sometimes called Pink Period, from 1905, I think, to about 1906 or 1908, somewhere in there. This is the Artist Experience Radio Show at WOWD-FM, Tacoma Park. We're discussing the Picasso painting in the Blue Period that's at the Phillips Collection. Let's begin our discussion of the exhibit. There's an introductory room where you get to see what a good artist the 19-year-old Picasso was. The pictures in the second room are of Picasso's scene in the nightlife of Paris, cafes, the Moulin Rouge, middle-class men dining with prostitutes, in other words, the demi-monde. As the exhibit continues into the blue period, you follow Picasso, who hung out at the Saint-Lazare Women's Prison and Hospital, where women were treated for syphilis, and they arrived there sometimes pregnant, and in this dark dungeon, they would have given birth. They would wear a white scarf or a red flower to identify their venereal disease. Picasso had an empathy. He had guilt, tenderness, feeling for the sacred and the profane, and the simplified shapes and dark colors perfectly expressed the feeling of doom for these women. He was later treated for syphilis at the same hospital. One of the first things that occurred to me when I saw these six draw- drawings is how Picasso draws hands. I've mentioned it before. Hands have so many moving parts, and they, as Picasso saw, are a ter- terrific means of expression. So much so... As much as the face or the body, he probably got that from El Greco and maybe Holbein, the great drawer of hands, but he is wonderful at drawing the gestures of hands. And there's even some repetition of hand gestures that uh, with the hand brought up to the face, and this particular gesture will appear in several of these drawings. It's somehow 
something that conservators were interested in. And there are many artists of that time that just blew off those hands. Oh, thank you for that, Sheila. Yes, uh, for our listeners, Picasso could draw hands at age 13, 12. He knew really how to draw a difficult subject well. Well, the beginning of the exhibition strongly visually documents Picasso's early influences, which were obvious to me. Firstly, I was so happy to see Picasso's very famous self-portrait that he did at age 19, smack in the center of the first room when you enter the gallery space, coming up from the stairs at the Phillips. This is truly a powerful work, and it shows three important things about this young artist. One, his command of drawing to paint. Great drawing makes for great painting, as we have said many times on this show, and Picasso had a remarkably excellent hand. Secondly, Picasso's command of the medium of paint. Picasso was a powerful technician and commander of the paint, even at a young age. He could really push around the paint. He was not intimidated by that medium. And the self portrait of his that you show with this strong gaze is something that they call in Spanish the mirada. Well, this conveys confidence, profound energy that the artist had and his willingness to get himself and his talents out there without fear. And this is the sign of a very mature artist that knows what he is capable of, and that portrait shows it really well. Some of the earlier works in the exhibition also allude to some topics that we've talked about in our last show and Picasso's treatment of women. His early paintings of women are not a woman of beauty, or he at least did not paint them as beautiful. The Spanish dancer and the woman with a cape, both from 1901, And one other whose name escapes me are two examples. Well, the Spanish dancer shows an obvious influence of Edward Villard and possibly Toulouse-Lautrec, which the exhibition beautifully documents. The patterns and textures of the brushstrokes as well as the painting on cardboard. Women with a cape shows wildly energetic brushwork in thickness that reminds me of some of the Impressionists, uh, most notably actually Van Gogh. At the Café, which is a very beautiful painting, is one of my favorite early works of Picasso. I also want to see throw in a little bit of Edward Manet and Degas as possible influences. Melancholy Woman from 1901 to 1902 is another example of an Impressionist style. Another self-portrait in the exhibit titled Self-Portrait with Top Hat, it's in the corner, it's kind of out of the way, which is again oil on cardboard, which is something that Toulouse-Lautrec did a lot of, and that shows the influence uh, again of Toulouse-Lautrec in medium style and technique. Well, if you just joined us, this is the Artist Experience radio program, and I'm Tom Kasanakis with Sheila Blake and Peter Blake at WOWD Tacoma Radio. Today we are discussing an important exhibition titled Picasso, Painting the Blue Period at the Phillips Collection in D.C. You know, what's interesting to me in the second room with the scenes of Parisian nightlife is the strong whiff of decadence. We see Toulouse-Lautrec's paintings in the same room, and he makes the nightlife attractive. But Picasso doesn't. These people are not happy. These pictures are the opposite of an advertisement for this life. The women have a wild, demonic look, and the men are living a life of delusion and blindness, delusion engendered by desire. We're all helpless in our desire. (laughs) 
Hey, thank you yeah. for that. That's a very astute observation, yeah. Peter. I've got to tell you about that. But Picasso, there's at the sort of at the end, there's a self-portrait of another self-portrait of Picasso, surrounded by these women of the night. Um, he's not. He's staring out at us. He's above the delusion. He's above it all. Oh, he's wow. in the know. Yeah. Goodness. <laughs> well, well, I was very happy to see. Uh, in the exhibition, uh, that things that were devoted to Picasso's relationship to his friend, Carlos Antoni Cosme Damia Casagemas y Col, which is known as Carlos Casagemas. Casagemas was depicted in several works in the Blue Period by Picasso. Carlos uh, Casagemas died by suicide at age 20, and Picasso shared a studio with him, and Casagemas was an artist and a poet as well. It has been written that the suicide of Casagemas actually was partly inspired Picasso to begin his Blue Period. Picasso admittedly talked about his influence and inspiration to the Blue Period years later. And Casagemas died by suicide after his girlfriend, Germaine, refused his amorous affectations. Both Picasso and Casagemas painted Germaine, and she maintained the friendship with Picasso after... Casagemas' death, and she modeled for Picasso as well after that tragic affair. The evocation from 1901, also known as The Burial of Casagemas, is a very different but magnificent painting by the young Pablo Picasso. Here it shows Picasso as the astute observer of art history. Seeing this painting even from a distance screams El Greco, otherwise known as Domenicos Theotokopoulos from Crete, and, and of course, originally, but then on to Italy, and then of course, making his fame in Spain. El Greco comes through here, not only in the depiction of the wild sky, but in the comp composition elements of space and perspective is seen in El Greco. Later in the exhibition, El Greco comes up again in the introduction of Men and Misery section of the exhibition with another masterpiece from the Phillips Collection in El Greco St. Peter. Take a look at the skies of El Greco paintings, and Picasso must have been looking at them. Picasso's painting, The Evocation, is a crude and naive work of the Blue Period, which is steeped in emotion and intrigue. The exhibition has some lovely photo enlargements of Picasso and his contemporaries in their st studios with other people. These are lovely additions uh, to the exhibition, and you can see the reproductions of art on Picasso's walls uh, that he used as reference. Many artists of notoriety are represented. And it's a nice addition, and I really like the way they, they, they put, put them in the exhibition. Yeah, but that, that painting, The Burial of Casagemas, let, let's describe it. You're right about the El Greco influence. I hadn't seen that. It looked to me like a medieval composition, you know, the, the journey of, of, of the saint through all of his things. And Carlos Casagemas is taken up to heaven, where instead of angels, prostitutes, na <laughs> naked except for stockings and garden garters. Three of them wave goodbye from the clouds. Carlos himself is astride a horse with his arms outstretched as if on a cross, being kissed by another prostitute. The style is very different from the other paintings in the room, so that that El Greco connection is a help, I think, in appreciating how, how, how it was done. 
Yes, I also th think the painting is kind of lighthearted. It's the best gift that this teenager could give to his close pals. Pal, like like in the Day of the Dead Graves in Mexico, where uh, on the grave is a soccer ball and a six-pack of beer and food and some stuffed animals. That's what he's doing. He's giving his friend gifts, like presents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, th I find that a really interesting interpretation. I, I have to admit, I, 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 it really pricked up my ears. And what the painting gives us is a naive quality that I think a young artist might be doing and addressing the theme of death. And that might be the first time he really ever addressed death on a real personal level. And I, and I think uh, that's really important. I mean, you know, a young artist dealing with death isn't really the easiest thing to handle on canvas. That's right. That's right. I mean, um, we have to keep repeating, he's 19 years old. Yeah, right. <laughs> so in that painting, Carlos is passing on to another world. And... Picasso is saying farewell to the cafe scene, subject at least. And that's what we mean when we say go ahead and speculate in the artist's experience technique. I mean, <laughs> we don't know if Picasso thought of it as his goodbye to the cafe scene pro subject, but that painting is a transition. It's the beginning of the blue period. But what is the blue period? Well... Wow, you got me here, Peter. Well, I think part of the blue period is what you're, much of this what exhibition is about is some sensitive side of this young Picasso. In our last show on Picasso, we probably convinced our listeners that there was absolutely no sensitive side to Picasso, <laughs> and at least when it comes to women. Thus, the extensive number of works in this, in this exhibition that deals with marginalized women, unwed mothers, prostitutes, surprised me. The exhibition mentions how Picasso, in his depiction of these women, subverted the traditional norms of Christian iconography. It is known that Picasso did go to the hospital where uh, they were being kept for these women were being kept for recovery for operations, uh, giving birth and treatment for venereal diseases. It's also very common to use prostitutes and marginalized women as models for them to receive extra money from the artist and sexual favors for the artist. Somehow, I am not truly convinced Picasso was that altruistic. That's just part of me in this. I don't know. It's terrible to say, but that's how I feel. The paintings in this section about women are powerful and truly emotionally wrenching, but the premise for them is a stretch. I'm not sure Picasso truly cared of encouraging his Spanish Catholics how to see these women in a new light painted in this manner. The use of Catholic devotional imagery in the way he painted his subjects are off the mark in his ability to convince. It is here where sometimes art historians might overanalyze the works. The illusions of paintings the, the, excuse me, the illusion of painting these women in the color of the Most Holy Virgin Mary um, or Madonna seems to be an anti-illusion or a twisted kind of visual irony. This might have something to, to say about Picasso's lack of sp spiritual depth, possibly his re religious convictions, or basic knowledge of the Catholic subject more than his sensitivity towards these women. The drawing and paintings of these marginalized women are beautiful, albeit pathetic in many ways. Please take a moment in the exhibition to see in these rooms about the women the Toulouse-Lautrec drawing of a woman at her tub. Wow. 
Lautrec, like Picasso, was an intuitive, fantastic draftsman. The exhibition surely captures the ability of the young Picasso to use pen and ink with great sensitivity to line and gesture, as Lautrec did. Many examples show this great quality of the young artist in that vein. Well, I think that you're right. It is a stretch to think of Picasso as making an appeal with these paintings, an appeal for kindness and charity to these women, especially when you realize that his the woman that broke his friend's heart and the reason that his friend Casamegas uh, killed himself was because <clears throat> excuse me was because uh, Picasso just took her on as his model and so he couldn't have been that brokenhearted and she was continued in his life so uh, it's it's maybe more to the point that Picasso wanted to be a great artist. He wanted to be in the same league as El Greco and Goya. So he needed a subject in order to climb up there. Most people don't understand how difficult and important the choice of a subject is for an artist. They think that, well, artists can paint anything. And that's, that is true to a point. But to be great, you need a subject that corresponds to your ambition. Picasso may have been saying to himself, these pictures of nightlife aren't getting me enough notice. I don't want to compete with Toulouse-Lautrec. I want to compete with Goya. How do I do that? Tom, you spoke about the presence of Picasso with his strong stare in the self-portrait in the first room. How did he get that presence? And now, at the beginning of the next period in his career, how can he produce paintings that have a presence, that display themselves, that pour out into the room? That's what he's working for. That could be the main theme of our show. So our advice to your listeners is to go to the show. And see what we're talking about when we use the term presence. This is the fundamental lesson of today's episode. Go to the end of the first blue period room and look at the painting, Two Women at the Bar. How it glows from within and shimmers with its own light and presents the flesh of the women's bare backs in the dark atmosphere of the bar with the sinuous bends of their torsos. Oh, thank you for that, Sheila. Yes, the word presence is, is a huge word and possibly the essence of this whole exhibition. Well, Two Women at the Bar, as Sheila just meant, is from 1902, is an absolute showstopper. This is one of the several paintings in the show that tells us about a young, mature artist's handling of color. Picasso knows his palette, and it's limited, and how to maximize the color effect simply with a few colors in an analogous way. Analogous colors are three colors next to each other on the color wheel. In this case, Picasso uses blue, blue-green, and green. And there's another analogous color combination, which is like a yellow-green, a green, and a blue-green. These are all analogous combinations. Picasso does this repeatedly with the simple palette in the blue period. It's a very economical palette as well. Crouching Beggar Woman is another example. The young artist found a visual voice that is powerful, unique, and emotionally engaging. Therefore, the blue period is a springboard to the innovations that Picasso made throughout his career. Love 
Welcome back. This is Artist Experience. I'm Sheila Blake and our co-host, Tom Sinakis, and my husband, Peter. If you just joined us, you're listening to the Artist Experience radio program here at WOWD Tacoma Radio 94.3 FM. Today, we're discussing an important exhibition titled Picasso Painting the Blue Period at the Phillips Collection in D.C., Please go online at thephillipscollection.org to see about the collection and all pertinent information. So, our thesis is this. In the Blue Period, Picasso's aim is to become a great painter, and his strategy is to adopt the color, forms, and spirit of the portraits of the Madonna. Is portrait the right word, Tom? Well, yes, I think it is the right word here. You know, surely in Christian iconography, there are traditional images of the Virgin Mary or the Madonna, and they, they usually have some kind of look that's consistent, and there are exceptions. And of course, legend has it that St. Luke actually painted a portrait of the Virgin Mary from life, and he was an artist and a physician. But I think Picasso's uh, attempts at this illusion of a Madonna are correct. Yes, they are portraits. So... On the wall of the exhibit from the Prado, and you are not allowed to photograph it, is a Madonna sorrowfully praying. This is not an illustration. When believers enter the room where this Madonna hangs, they feel her presence. Tears could come to your eyes. You can pray to the Madonna because she's here in this room. You can feel her sorrow, her compassion, her divinity. Well, yes, you pray to the, the Madonna and the Virgin Mary as an interceder to help you basically converse ultimately to God. And she is a helper, but, you know, one doesn't worship her as the Virgin Mary and the, and, and the, and, and the, the Madonna, but you can honor her and, and venerate her. And in that sense, there's a great relationship of a woman, a, a very, very pure, beautiful woman. And that's really important in this show, actually. It just hit me. So you can definitely feel a presence, but you have to open your heart to it. And in Picasso's works of these women, I certainly do not see them in that light. They're women, but I don't think they have that characteristic that he's shooting for. Right. So, well, this Madonna by uh, Luis de Morales um, from 1570, was known to Picasso and admired by him and his artist friends. So, you know, the painting has um, a form and a technique that can be adapted. And Picasso, maybe maybe he, he took that form, that color, that technique, and translated it into the 20th century modernism to present the impoverished, imprisoned women alone or with their infant. And so the women are not portrayed as divine or, or as the mother of God, but they could be shown as worthy souls thrown into a cold world, living in degraded condition, whose humanity and beauty shines forth. So it's the shining force that he's working on. Can he, can he create that, a shining force out of the gloom of this world of sorrow? If he can achieve that effect as a painter, that's what's important, what he's striving to develop. So um, if we look at the paintings in that light, we can, we can you know, sort of 
ride over our feelings or suspicions of hypocrisy and blasphemy, which is kind of what I heard some notes of that accusation, what you just said. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, actually just did. Anyway, well, this is good because, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's really important. So I accept these images of the women uh, in a secular way, not in a sacred way. And I think Picasso must have known that there was no possibilities of these in a Catholic tradition, uh, if he knew that tradition. But maybe he was just trying to shake up things, you know, as a young artist, which young artists, you know, shaking up things is actually a good thing. I see them as very powerful visual metaphors. And I think that's how we should look at them. And I think that's what basically you're saying, Peter, right? That they are like visual metaphors for women that are worthy souls still. Right. And 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 what what you guys said last uh, program on Picasso that uh, well, it was a story he he told a lover or a mistress late in life that women were made for suffering, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he so he made them suffer. Yeah, he made them suffer. So his aim may be uh, in these portraits uh, not to relieve their suffering, but simply to reveal it as an artist revealing the truth. I accept that. <laughs> okay. Well, this, okay, so let's get to the centerpiece of the show, the, the one that's owned by the Phillips Collection, the Blue Room. Um, so with your thesis in mind, uh, so we, we, we can look into this painting to see if he achieved a high level of presence. And the center of attention is the nude woman standing in a shallow tub, pouring water on herself from a sponge, bending over. So... Does that woman stand forth? Well, I don't and haven't been able to see so much in that painting. I mean, look at Degas' women in the bath, their movement, their scale. There's something about the scale of Picasso's bather in this painting that looks as though she might be a sculpture. You know, the kind of small sculpture like Matisse and Cezanne, they also incorporated sculptures into their interiors so that when you're seeing it, it's kind of a surprise. So, you know, is that a sculpture lying on the table? Oh, it is. It's not a real woman. But in this case... The bather seems kind of tiny. I mean, have her walk across the room to the bed and lie down. And she's just too small. She's the wrong scale. Or at least that's the way I see it. So what's so great about this painting anyway? I've seen it so many times. I think it's because it's Picasso's first early attempt to create a complicated interior that has the elements of a still life and a figure in a painting that's full of activity and innovation, as opposed to, the, say, the classical planning of an anger. Uh, Picasso was exploring very much as Matisse was doing. They were both included in a collection by Gustave Fayet, who assembled a collection of young innovators. And Matisse was in that same show, and he noted, took notes of a painting by Mr. Picasso, Spain. That's so fascinating, Isn't that Sheila. fascinating? Well, I, I agree with you, Sheila. Uh, there, are, there are some issues with this painting. And, and 
Many years ago, though, this is, this is tough to say, but I realized something about cultural institutions. And sometimes they flaunt a work in their collections yeah. or they exaggerate their brilliance. And there's an example of a Gauguin in, in the Norfolk Chrysler Museum that it was the rage when they got it, but it's really a mediocre Gauguin. I mean, you know, they don't have to hit a home run every day. And sometimes you hear Picasso and, you know, you know it's Spring's masterpiece, you know, with the strobe light. But in this case, I don't think it is. And the Blue Room by Picasso is, is, is a, a mediocre painting by a young, aspiring artist. And the work's influences are obvious. And it's not the most wonderful composition, as you mentioned. And there are certain issues in drawing in the perspective of the rug. There are things that are wrong about that illusion. So... But it is a wonderful conversation piece for sure. And the research on it that the Phillips has so wonderfully done is very noteworthy. But as a Picasso, it's not a stellar example. I wanted to add something that that we've just, all of the three of us have just become aware that when we have a, a show uh, about a, exhibit at a museum that the curators are listening to our show and so we are taking on something that's a little bit uh you know some it's a little bit it's a little (laughs) bit risky to say these things and and you know because they are very appreciative of what we do we're just finding this out and so i hate to disparage the blue room no of course i mean the you know but that's part of what our mission is, is, is people are, you allow yourself to, you don't have to stand in awe just because you're told to stand in awe. You, you have to allow your own real um, feelings uh, to come in and they can change, you know. I mean, this painting will be here for the rest of our lives and... And we can come to uh, love it later or, or not. It just doesn't matter what our personal likes are. Um, there's plenty of people that like it. Um, <laughs> and that's good. And that's good enough. <laughs> and that's good enough. So, um, look, right next to the Blue Room, uh, right out in front of you, you could touch it, but don't, is a marble sculpture by Rodin of a, a sorrowful woman. And we're informed um, that Picasso used, knew this sculpture very well and adopted elements of the pose in, in, into his painting. It's funny, I guess we're all kind of used to Rodin. Uh, visitors, when I was there, visitors passed by that piece with hardly a glance, thinking maybe that's a little old fashioned. And you shouldn't. The skin, the limbs, the little toes of her little feet, the belly of this woman, they are shining forth from this sculpture with a force that's almost supernatural. This is what Picasso is trying to put into his painting. This is why I think this is why the woman in the painting looks like a sculpture on a table. It doesn't look like a woman, really, more like a sculpture. It's molded with fairly accurate placement of the limbs, weight distribution, like a Rodin. You can see it as three-dimensional. 
You can. You can look into it and see it. It's, it's got form and modeling, and, and you can imagine it as three-dimensional when you look into it, and there's a light glowing from the torso like a gas lamp. Um, if instead of looking at the painting as a whole, you run your eyes along the floor, it's like you're looking down, and then when you raise your eyes to the body, the perspective changes. So Matisse was doing this, um, and Cezanne, so, so Picasso's doing it. So you, you look down at the floor, and then you, and when you look up higher in the painting, the perspective changes, just as, a, as it would in real space. Um, but the painting, for me, does come alive, but only, surprisingly, only after I saw a, the stream of water that falls from the sponge and splashes in the tub. Yes, I mean, there, there's a lot of um, visual homage there to Degas, uh, Rodin, and again, he's, a, he's an astute, you know, artist of art history. Uh, Picasso certainly was. Well, the color studies and molecular analyses and layers of the pigments in the painting, to me, are really very interesting in the scientific studies of the Blue Room work. This is re relevant for most artists that might use the same pigments today, although some of the pigments that Picasso used are illegal to use today and certainly manu not manufactured anymore because they contained mercury and lead. There is information about the densities, opacities, and transparencies of pigments that are applicable to any artist today. It's very interesting in the analysis of the paintings of, of, of the Blue Room by Picasso from 1901, a work of pride and joy from the Phillips collection. The way Picasso uses Prussian blue, one of my all-time favorite colors that I've used a lot. I absolutely adore that color. And then there's the vermilion, the zinc white, which is a kind of a transparent white. And there's black, which is mostly opaque. And then there's this chrome yellow. Well, it's an interesting color because chrome yellow was a fairly new color at the time, although it was invented in the early 1900s. It was really not used much by artists, but then in the second decade of the 19th century, it became popular. It was uh, Van Gogh that used this color a lot as a primary yellow. He didn't use it as, uh, in some ways as, as uh, well as, I mean, as cadmium yellow, which is the, the, the go-to yellow. And because chromium yellow has uh, transparent qualities. It was a mixture of filtered chromium and lead that must have had to toxic properties, but it's a gorgeous color. And the combination of these colors that Picasso used in the Blue Room, and not to mention in the layering of the paints, is exquisite. Oh, I remember chrome yellow. Peter, when I was working for you painting houses, we had a whole condominium to paint. <laughs> this is one of the first times that you and I met, actually, and uh, it was a nice condominium, and you hired me to mix a color for the siding. A lot of it, I think we had a bathtub to mix the paint in, and I mixed a sort of gray-yellow. It was a low-keyed, very attractive color, something like a low-toned mustard, and it looked very nice. Well, about six months later, we drove back to see and admire that the condominium that we had spent our summer painting and that chrome yellow 
turned green. The whole condominium looked green. And it's a very unstable color, and it had faded out. And we wondered if anyone had noticed, because it was a pretty fast transition. Cadmium yellow would have been much better, but much more expensive. That's hysterical. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. Um, the last room off the main galleries to introduce the rope here is a bit too much. I, of course, was worn out by then, but The Woman with a Comb from 1906 is very interesting. It is a work done in distemper, not the disease, the <laughs> art technique. Firstly, the work is in an unusual scale, and so are the proportions in that long and thin piece of work. Although Picasso painted this theme many times of a woman with a comb, this version is quite special. Distemper is painting of a pigment that's mixed with a warm glue, uh, which could be of animal and vegetable origin, which sometimes could be mixed mixed with egg and oil, or casein, which is a milk product derivative, or even honey. Several artists used distemper, like Manet, Vuillard, and many Renaissance artists before them. Distemper was also used in the East, in India, and so on and so forth. And the woman with the comb is refreshing. It almost has a pixelated feel, and it almost feels like a premonition to early cubism and how he's patching the colors together. And that that's the that's the really great piece in that room. Yeah, I agree with you, um, and I want to say to to you all listening, if you get a little tired after you know looking at the blue period, blah blah blah. If you get a little tired and you're thinking of leaving the exhibit, go immediately to the last room, where his paintings from his next period, the Rose period, are your eyes just need this refreshing. It's so great. So here we see an extreme leap in Picasso's ability to make his images step into the world. Most of the paintings are of nude women, and each one is different, but the presence we have been talking about is huge. These images are almost not contained in the frame anymore. They breathed into the room. Absolutely right. Right. And they're so strange, and I think you're right. That they must be uh, a pre. You can tell it, these are precursors to cubism. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of the pictures uh, of of a model, the face is like a Buddha, and then the body is is very different. But um, I love it. There's a painting, the boy with the blue vase, and the boy has an ironic expression. He's a character, like a performer or a magician, presenting. The blue vase. We see we see those hands that you talked about, Sheila. After um, uh, Picasso had hidden them often in the shawls of the women of the blue period, and the boys presenting the vase as a ceremonial, mysterious, or sacred object, but with a sarcastic expression, I think. And there's a mysterious light bubbling out of the opening. I think of this as. Um, Picasso. The character is in the same role as Picasso, a magician with a wry smile offering a mystery to the world. Interesting. I thought of the Harlequin paintings when I saw that, like yeah, yeah. an like just a, a portrait kind. I mean, he wasn't a Harlequin, but I said there's, there's kind of a, 
a gamesmanship almost to sorcery, sorcery to, yeah. to, 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 to it. And I think uh, that's a really good painting in the room. Yeah, that's and the, really the wall text says it's, um, it, it might be a, a saltimbank, saltimbank. And I thought, oh, I've seen that word in, in his, the titles of his paintings and such, but what is it? And I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it's an, uh, like an Italian circus performer or yes. something. Yeah, right. But there's something fundamentally different between Picasso and the artists you love, Sheila, right? Oh, like yeah. Bernard. Yes. Well, uh, okay, so I'm going to bring up this uh, thought. When you're in the process of creating art, now this is as artists, you're actually two people. You're the artist that's making the decisions, that's putting on the paint, and then you stand back and you're the audience. And it becomes a kind of automatic and seamless process. It's like you put on your hat as the, as the artist, and then you stand back and put on another hat as the audience. And uh, it's, it becomes an unconscious switch. So it's important when you're looking at an artist like Picasso to think about who his audience is, not the audience that we are, but the audience he was painting for. And the audience the artist is imagining, standing, looking over his shoulder. So if you take Bonard, who is his audience? It's probably his compatriot, Vuillard, probably Gauguin, Maurice Denis, and some poets, and his art dealer, Ambrose Vollard. But he refuses to, he refused to acknowledge any master. He said, I belong to no school. I want only to do something of my own, and I am at present unlearning what I took a lot of trouble to learn during four years, years at the Beaux-Arts. Now, that was Bonard. Now, Picasso one day exclaimed in front of a Bonard painting, piddling, that's piddling work. He was really disparaging of Bonard in that Bonard was constantly adjusting and changing, and he would just put down, never put down one color and leave it. He would change a little bit here, a little bit there. And of course, Bonard and Picasso both knew that they were great. So who is Picasso's audience? He wanted to be great. He thought that he was greater than anyone, and he wanted to have that recognition, and he was in a hurry. Vollard was also Picasso's art dealer, and Picasso had met Gertrude and Leo Stein, and he had painted their portraits, and he bathed in their glowing approval. And he... I just wanted to make my point that Bonard was an internal artist. His audience was first himself, whereas Picasso was external. He was more like a performer. He was challenging and tempting and eventually shocking his audience. Both these artists were ambitious, but, but Bonard was first pleasing himself, and Picasso was always challenging his followers. And, of course, both those audiences are first. Only in the imagination, because how do we really know? You know, I see Picasso as beginning his role here. Uh, Daedalus, the inventor, or Prospero, the sorcerer. Uh, your guy, Pierre Bernard, wanted to make a world that bursts into song. Picasso said... I will call up before your eyes living beings that walk and suffer and amaze you. 
Go ahead, speak to it. She's listening. <laughs> so the first part of the Picasso show that we did two weeks ago, we concentrate on who he was as an artist and who he was clearly in front of us in his work. Well, we, we recorded the show, and after I listened to it, we visited the Phillips again to begin our study of what we're talking about today. And I was amazed at how I was so comfortable looking around and also much more open to what I was seeing. So I had been shoved off my high horse. I shoved myself off my high with you guys. And I saw <laughs> so much good in these works. I had learned so much. And I had just become so much more open to looking. And I just hope that you guys, uh, you know, you, our audience is also much better at agreeing and disagreeing with us and with yourselves as we sometimes do. And with this show today, I was once again much more open to seeing Picasso, at least, at least when he was a young man, with the feelings that he may have hardened over time. Uh, that is really uh, well said there, uh, Sheila, and thank you. Because, you know, great artists, I mean, they're not all in the same envelope. They come in, you know, different shapes and forms, and they but they push the envelope on communicating something unique. And Bernard and Picasso and so many others were doing the same. They bring us to another place, another space, with their own version of beauty and goodness. Picasso painting the blue period at the Phillips Collection in D.C. Northwest is a must exhibition for the admirers of Picasso, the scientists looking at art, and the huge number of art enthusiasts that loathe the person that Picasso was, but love his paintings. There is a lot of great art to see and study. This exhibition successfully brings together a portfolio of great art from a young and extremely talented artist. Picasso certainly uh, knew that in himself. The, the drawings show an aptitude from an intuitive, excellent hand. That are, uh, uh, He's a visual art prodigy, and there are not too many of these. The paintings from this artist are evident of an artist that was experimenting and commanding his medium at the same time, and that's hard to do for a young artist. His influences are many, Yet he grows and formulates his visual voice in this exhibition, highlighting only a few years of his prolific creative career. I recommend our listeners to go see Picasso, Painting the Blue Period. The exhibition is on display until June 12th, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Sheila, any thoughts about our next show? These last two shows have been exhausting. <laughs> well, we're not. I'm not sure this might be exhausting too. But even if it wasn't Women's History Month, there's a terrific show by the prominent American painter Joan Mitchell at the Baltimore Museum. Now, Joan Mitchell was born in 1925, and she lived until 1992. Her paintings are emotionally intense, and she was one of the few women painters who gained like critical and public acclaim in New York in the 50s, and her paintings are in major collections all around the world. Her paintings are emotional, they're gestural, they're inspired by landscapes, and especially inspired by Matisse. This show is co-organized with the San Francisco Museum of Art. Personally, I can't wait to see it. 
Oh, wow. Thank you for that, Sheila. It sounds like a road show to Baltimore. Thank yeah, God it's it does. so close. Yes, yes. Experience art and the visual and everything you do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. your song from